I never met my mother's father, and that may be part of the appeal. He's a story, a rumour. He must have been very inventive, really. He must have been quite a survivor. They would already have known for seven years what was going on in Germany. Seeing that on a piece of paper, the fact that they've all got a number. It must have dawned on him that uh, at some point he needs to stand up and fight. How are you? Where are you? <laughs> and I went, I'm fine. I'm in Paris. <laughs> I don't think we can assume that somehow human nature has changed and the human being's capacity to do terrible things to each other has somehow disappeared. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. I'd still like to know where Dad died. When we left my grandfather, Adolf Lempert, it was the early 1980s. He was working and living in Paris with his second wife, who, for now, I am still going to call Anna, not her real name. But what happened next, specifically when, where, or even if he died, remained a mystery. And we weren't really sure what to try next. Perhaps I ought to go to France and see if I can find I'm, out anything else. Yeah, that'll be the next chapter if yeah. we go there. Yeah, I'd definitely be up for that. Two things you need to know. The first is, we did go to France, but not to Paris. The second thing is, why? Hello? Bonjour, Agathe. Oui? Uh, Pouvez-vous m'entendre bien? Oui, très bien. D'accord. Uh, Agathe Robin is a private detective based in Paris who was able to help me with something that, despite my best efforts, I had failed to discover. First of all, our investigation took us from Paris to the south of France. Oh, okay. Um, yes, your grandfather, so Adolf Lambert, mm -hmm. passed away on October 5th, 1992. October 5th, 1992, 79 years old. Not bad, Adolf. By then, he had moved from Paris to the Côte d'Azur, to Nice. He lived at the time in an apartment about five minutes away from the beach, I would say. <laughs> and he was still married to his wife. And the death certificate, I will Amazing. say, along with the, with the report. His death certificate has a few anomalies. For one, it says he was born in Lemberth, L-E-M-B-U-R-T-H, which he wasn't. Nobody was. It's not a place. His father's name is correct, Zaya Oscar, but his mother's name is listed as Rosa. Rosa was in fact the name of his sister, who, along with his father, mother and brother, had died at Auschwitz, while he had made his escape to London via Lisbon. Presumably, these were Anna's best guesses, and point to a man who continued to speak very little about his past and the family he left behind. Thank you very much. Thanks to you. I mean, it was, a, it was a great opportunity for us to help you write that chapter of your grandfather's life. I googled the address of his apartment, and one of the first results was for holiday lets. That we could actually stay at the apartment block in which he'd lived out his final days, five minutes from the beach by a GATS estimate, 
seemed reason enough to plan a different trip. The idea was for my mother and me to go from the beginning to the end. First to Lemberg, now Lviv, where he was born, and then to Nice, where he died. My wife, in need of some rest before facing the home stretch of her doctorate in clinical psychology, would head straight to Nice. This is the story of the journey that trip took us on and the people I met along the way. Over 4,000 miles with twists, turns, tears, and more. My name is Andrew Evans, and this is Unboarded. In an effort to add more purpose to our journey, I set my mind to finding out where my grandfather was buried. I began by requesting information through the official channels, but I also contacted a funeral director based in Nice, several in fact. My reasoning was that they probably have some kind of direct line to whoever keeps records of these sorts of things. Soon enough, I found someone kind enough to assist, and I had my answer. Adolf Moritz Lempert was buried in Cimetière de Lesse, the East Cemetery. Just days before I left for Lviv, my wife and I attended a 5 times 15 event in Hackney, at which Professor Philippe Sands was speaking. You'll likely know him for his contribution to the Unboarded podcast by Andrew Evans, but it turns out he's also a renowned international lawyer and academic. And he is, of course, the author of East West Street, in which Lviv plays a central role. I'm feeling in the room that actually people, what people really want, perhaps, is a lecture on the backstop. <laughs> and the Attorney General's many advices. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about my friend Ahmet Altan. Ahmet Altan is a Turkish journalist who, at 68 years old, is currently serving a life sentence. Ahmet's crime was that he spoke four words on a television program in the aftermath of the failed coup in 2016. Those words were interpreted by the Turkish president, Erdogan, and his government as being treasonous. Altan is one of tens of thousands arrested since 2016 for criticizing Erdogan and his government, actions that have done nothing to help Turkey's position in the World Press Freedom Index. Despite his incarceration, Altan has been able to produce the incredible prison memoir, I Will Never See the World Again, compiled from essays smuggled out of his cell. You should stop listening now and go and read it. Thank you. After the event, I was able to thank Philippe in person for his contribution to this podcast and pick up some last-minute tips for the trip to Lviv, crucially, the best place to get good coffee. Lviv's city centre, all grand buildings, trams and cobbled streets, owes more to its days as part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire than of the Soviet Union. Lonely Planet describes it as the de facto capital of Ukraine's folksy West. 
Coincidentally, my mother and I stayed at the George, a hotel at which Philippe Sands is by now a familiar face. Since his first visit prompted the extraordinary adventure of East West Street, he has returned to Lviv every year. He told me to mention at the hotel that I knew him. I didn't quite have the chutzpah to drop a name quite so straightforwardly, but I did hold my copy of East West Street so prominently at check-in that the receptionist couldn't help but comment, allowing me to explain my tenuous connection. It was just catastrophic, I think, the announcement that she did yesterday. It was as though, you know, in the process of trying to win more people over, it seemed very much like she'd lost more people. To some extent, Brexit had been the catalyst for this entire story. And at the time I booked the trip, it was set to be my last as a European citizen. We were going to return the day before the UK left the EU. Of course, it wasn't our plans that fell through. This uh, deal in front of the in front of the Parliament again, and it's it's just with Theresa May. It seems like you know when you've got a charm offensive and you don't have uh, the charm, it just seems offensive. And as our TV relayed Theresa May's latest failure, my mother took the chance to familiarise herself with the hotel rules and regulations, as well as local excursions. Oh, do you want a photo session? I think a lot of them do think that they could have done extras. Leisure activities organization, tennis, horse riding, skating, paintball, billiards and bowling. Lviv was always going to be more of a ceremonial visit than a research mission. Although its influence reached far beyond its blurred borders, my grandfather spent less than the first year of his life there. Still, I had made contact with the State Archive and was hopeful that we might find something. A record of birth, a marriage certificate for his parents, Saya and Frida, something. But the gaps in their archives correspond quite precisely with the dates we were interested in. Perhaps because of this less than successful day, that evening we opted to take up the hotel's offer of a walking tour of the city centre. Our guide was, I think it's reasonable to say, eccentric. Wild eyes staring up from beneath a black fedora and a cane that was clearly more for flair than stability. Stability is, in fact, not a word I'd apply in any sense to a man who, more than once, claimed to be a wizard. The tour proceeded as these things tend to, generally with an emphasis on the salacious and, frankly, violence against women. Heavily accented, it wasn't always easy for me to follow, but even I could tell that these were not all facts in the strictest sense. Another member of the group appeared to agree, raising his eyebrows quizzically on several occasions. And it was at breakfast in the hotel the next morning that this gentleman approached us. His name was Peter, and he was a historian from Poland. He asked us a little about our background, what brought us to Lviv, and then gave me a card for Marla Osborne from Rohatin Jewish Heritage. Marla, hello, how are you? Good, let me see if I can, um, for some reason I'm not showing that, oh, can you see me now? I think we might be audio only, but I'm only, oh, there you are. Lviv made, and continues to make, a big impact on me. And it was while talking to Marla via Skype a few weeks later, that I was able to begin to make some sense of it. She now lives in Lviv, but I caught her on a brief visit to her native California. 
Like our story, hers begins with a grandparent. Her grandmother was from Rohatin, part of the historical region of Galicia that includes Lviv. Of all the people in my family, she absolutely was my inspiration, and she was politically active her entire life. In the later years, was blacklisted in Hollywood, and then as she became an older woman, she even founded the Grey Panthers in Hollywood. Uh, for senior citizens' rights, and she testified before Congress. So that that side of the family was always interesting to me because they were very left, very socialist, very secular, and uh, politically very active. And she very much did what I ended up doing, which is uh, quitting working while she was in her 40s and liquidating her assets in California and taking off to bump around Europe for the next 20 years. passed away and my husband said you know what I think it's time for us to go to Rohatin and we were living in Paris at the time so we made our first trip to Poland uh, spent some time in Krakow and then took a train across the border to Rohatin and we got there and absolutely couldn't find anything I couldn't communicate with anybody in town I couldn't find where the cemeteries and mass graves actually I didn't even know about the mass graves at the time and I just felt like I couldn't wait to leave and get back to Paris. But Marla did return to Rohatin. And I realized my bad experience in 2008 on my first trip was because I was completely unprepared. And on that very next visit, I was approached by a local retired historian and teacher in town who had been dealing with Jewish descendants who had returned to Rohatin 10 years prior in 1998 and worked with the city to fence the Jewish cemeteries, both of them, and to put memorials up at the two mass graves. And his first question to me in Ukrainian was, now what do you want to do? And I had no idea what he was even talking about. What he was even talking about was his assumption that Marla had arrived to continue the work started by those descendants in 1998, who had since passed away. Perhaps the most extraordinary thing is that that is exactly what she has done, moving to Lviv and founding Rohatin Jewish Heritage. So I tell people I didn't go looking for the project, the heritage found me. Lviv struck me as a city ready to look forward, but without quite knowing how to look back. The Nazi atrocities, followed by a long Soviet silence, have left a profound sense of absence. Of course, if, having been to Lviv, you know practically every empty space in the historic town centre had a synagogue there. And not all of them are marked, but many of them are. It is far more common across Galicia to visit an empty space, uh, which was a Jewish cemetery, or where the synagogue stood. When my grandfather was born there in 1913, Jews would have made up around 30% of the population of Lviv. By 1950, it was down to just over 6%. In 2001, it was 0.3%. In 1940, Sprintz Lempert, Adolf's grandmother, was still in the Galician town of Skalit, where there were approximately 4,000 Jews, which swelled to over 8,000 as those from neighboring towns were brought there. 
Only 160 are said to have survived. The Jews of Galicia weren't taken to the gas chambers. They tended to be the victims of organized gangs with rifles. The Nazi philosophy in Galicia, which makes it quite different from other places, is it wasn't just about the destruction of the body. It was about the destruction and erasure of all memory of the culture that lived there. And like large parts of Galicia, Rohatin had a Jewish, a substantial Jewish presence for more than 350 years. And uh, one of the first things that happened, and in this way, Rohatin, I think, is very typical of uh, Eastern Galicia, was the destruction of the physical evidence of Jewish life that included the burning down of the synagogues and the um, the removal, the, the breaking and the removal of the Jewish headstones, which then were typically used, like they were in Rohatin, uh, to pave Nazi parking over at Gestapo headquarters or walkways in town. So Jewish headstones throughout Galicia were taken up and used to pave the streets. And I would challenge you to find more heavy-handed symbolism than that. But in Rohatin, Mala is recovering these headstones. Um, we've uncovered about 600 headstone fragments at this point that have been pulled from roads and private gardens and foundations of buildings in Rohatin over the last eight years and returned to the Jewish cemetery. And it's absolutely typical for Galicia. And, and this is what went on in Lviv last summer on Wulitsa Barvanuk, which is not far from our apartment. It had been known that the road had been paved with Jewish headstones during the war, but the road over time had been paved over several times. But all you had to do was talk to neighbors and residents, and it, it was just known. And um, the city opened up the road to do some road work. Over five days, we excavated about 20% of the road, and we pulled out more than 125 fully intact headstones, not, not fragments like I'm dealing with in Rohatin, but fully intact. And there's still 80% of the road left. Perhaps paradoxically, her work is not all that much to do with death. It's about life. For obvious reasons, Jews tend to focus these trips, these heritage trips, on, on the Holocaust. Um, but I really feel it's far more interesting to be talking about the multicultural life of the cities before, the fact that there was a long, rich history of coexistence between Ukrainians and Jews, and, and in some towns, a, a larger Polish population as well. Uh, this is the interesting stuff to me. Not just interesting, but important. I thought back to something Philippe Sands had said when I first interviewed him. One of the powerful effects for me of spending time in a city like Lviv, which was in the 1920s and 30s, a thriving metropolis with lots of different communities, was it was unimaginable that their world would be utterly and totally destroyed. And yet it was. Unless you speak with older people who remember, that has been broken. The memory of that has been broken from the modern consciousness. The good news is the young people are wanting to explore the history of their town. So when I speak to them, they're asking the difficult questions and they want to know. They have taken it upon themselves to be the carrier of Jewish memory, even though they have no Jewish roots. But they're lovers of history and they're, they love their towns and cities and they want 
to be a source of information of what came before. And these are the people that are, the Jewish diaspora need to connect with when they go into town. It's not just about going one time to visit grandma's town and walk the streets. This is your heritage too, and there are people there who do care. This could all happen again. There's no backstop on progress. This story, which began in part as a fairly cynical attempt to hold on to my EU passport, has become something else for me, although an EU passport would still be very welcome. Obviously, it's a chance to try and be a good son to my mother, but it's also become my way of trying to make sense of what's been happening in the world over the last few years. The illusion of some kind of basic liberal consensus is apparently just that, and I know it may well be a reflection of privilege that allowed people like me to see it that way for so long. The comparisons of the current rise of the right, the rise of populism, to what happened in the 1930s are, I think, appropriate, and therefore deeply troubling. The world right now can seem terrifying, and it is. But that's not all that it is, and not all that it has to be. Like Harvey Milk said, you've got to give them hope. But right now, where do you even look for it? Marla finds a lot of hope in the young activists she sees in Lviv. And there is hope, I think, in young activism in general. Malala Yousafzai, Emma Gonzalez, Greta Thunberg. And back in that theatre in Hackney, it was hard for me to not find some kind of hope in the resilience of a Turkish journalist currently serving a life sentence. It really was something to spend a little time with a man who knows he is going to spend the rest of his life in prison on trumped-up charges and who was able to laugh about it. And it was something else to leave that prison cell with an unexpected, extraordinary feeling of elation, motivated by the sheer, towering greatness of Ahmet Altan and the human spirit. Thank you. Next time on Unboarded, we travel to Nice and my grandfather proves elusive even in death, a twist that none of us saw coming. And I find out that there was someone else in London who knew when my grandfather died all along. The Unboarded podcast was written and produced by me, Andrew Evans, with contributions from my mother, Lynn Evans, from Agat Raban of RCI Detectives, and from Marla Osborne from Rohatin Jewish Heritage. Visit rohatinjewishheritage.org to find out more about her amazing work. Special thanks to 5x15 for allowing me to use excerpts from Philippe Sands' speech. You can find out more about them and their events at 5x15.com. Visit unboardedpodcast.com to find links to all the episodes and a playlist of the soundtrack, as well as an archive of documents. 
Check for updates or get in touch on Twitter at UnboarderedPod or via our Facebook page. Just search Unboarded Podcast. Unboarded Podcast.